Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. Yeah, we are. Yeah, I always say that. That's... I always am like, yeah. You're always so excited for us to be talking about classic games and brothers. I like talking about, well, we don't, we do sometimes talk, talk about... about brothers, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, here we are. Another episode. Uh, Zach, what have you been uh, recently been playing? Well, a game I've recently been playing is one that I picked up in the Steam Summer Sale, which um, as of recording this episode has uh, ended a few days ago. Um, It's a game that came out originally in 1997, and it is called Redneck Rampage. Well, that sounds Um, exciting. I don't know why I picked it up, but uh, it was on my wish list and it was was cheap. Um, So Redneck Rampage is a first-person shooter from 1997 as i as i stated it was developed by a company called zatrix entertainment x-a-t-r-i-x and it was published by interplay it is a game that uses the build engine and the build engine um for anyone who doesn't know is a first-person shooter engine created by a man named ken silverman and he developed that for 3d realms and it's very similar to the doom engine but the build engine is able to handle 3D spaces a little better than the Doom engine. So I think when we talked about Doom, we talked about the fact that Doom was not able to have stacked levels, essentially. So where if you go to a second floor, the that second floor isn't like directly over the floor that you were previously on. I think we mentioned that. The build engine ef- effectively fixes that issue. It, it, it allows you to go uh, <laughs> it, it stacks things. <laughs> so um, it kind of uh, is able to fix some of those issues. It also, it tends to be a smoother looking engine. So Redneck Rampage is, is built in that engine. You play as a kind of a stereotypical hillbilly character, and you have to fight off aliens and such um it takes place in like a a fictional midwest town and uh you have a revolver and like a double-barreled shotgun and you drink whiskey and you fight aliens um it's okay i i I don't know if i was expecting anything amazing by the title um i do like first person shooters of that time period especially like games built in the build engine like duke nukem so i uh think i was expecting something along the lines of duke nukem or shadow warrior kind of got uh not quite what i was looking for but um i was just reading that uh it might be the port though to steam they said that you should they should they said you should buy it on gog instead as good old games has a dos box maybe i'll pick up a copy on gog um next time gog does a sale so if you're interested in picking up redneck rampage because you want to play a hillbilly in a doom duke nukem type situation we recommend you grab it from the good old games store versus the steam store as there may be issues with the steam port of the game not necessarily the game itself uh so seth what about you what have you been playing uh so i have recently been playing a game called turmoil it is a a lighter casual type game Mm -hmm. uh, where You're playing around the uh, turn of the century of the 1900s, so 1899, give or take. And you play a kind of like a, I don't it's like a, not necessarily a simulation game, but let me describe the game by describing it, how the gameplay is. So it's a very light stylized game where you are given a plot of land in a set amount of time period 
to find oil in that land and you need to sell that oil. Uh, so it has some pretty simplistic controls where you first you put a dowser down and they'll they'll find the oil and then you will place your oil rigs and you have to drill down somewhere beneath that oil rig where the dowser found oil you will find oil but oh, you, cool. so you have to and it costs money to drill the pipe you know move the pipes down and it's kind of like a cross section so you have like the the dirt and then it takes up half the screen and then like your little land that you're building the oil rigs and stuff that you're built the oil pumps that you're building are on the top part uh-huh. um and so if you so the more you use more pipes to get f- to find the oil the more money you spend once you find the oil you have to pull it up and then use a horse and buggy to deliver it to the either the company on the left or the company on the right and the company on the left is called Left Incorporated, and the company on the right is called Right Incorporated. Like Twix. And they kind of, yeah. <laughs> and you can also silo your oh you can also silo your oil. Yeah. So with that siloing of the oil, you can kind of play a price war. So a company on the left may sell buy oil at a certain price, a company on the right may will buy it at a different price. You can pick which one you're selling to, and then you can also just silo it. And it's kind of like a game of trying to within because you're you're competing against four other like NPCs and you're trying to maximize your profit from this short period of time. So you have like six months to oh, drill out this area. And so you're trying to make the most profit out of the rest of them with kind of you selling the oil for the right price. You don't want to sell it too low, but you also don't want to, you need to sell it because if you don't make any money at all, then you lose it. So you have to kind of set yourself standards. I ended up, my strategy ended up being only selling above for above 80 cents per barrel. And then um, at the last, the last like two weeks of the game, one of the companies like spikes to like a dollar and change. So I'm, I just drove a lot of my, I had a bunch of extra, I even bought a wagon to just deliver more and more oil to it because I had so much extras. So it's fun, uh, very light type of uh, game, not too much like story or into it, but it is, it's pretty um, interesting and a good kind of uh, light not puzzle strategy type game i guess mm-hmm. so here's that cool with that we're gonna go into our episode here this episode we wanted to talk about a country culture um and how it in played and plays an important role into our gaming video games and all of that so we actually we know that the, uh, we do have some people who live in britain who listen to our show in the uk and so this this episode is kind of how uh, the UK and Britain um, influenced video games. Uh, so where while Zach and I was do, were doing research for this episode, we actually didn't know that a lot of the these developers had roots in England, and it was uh, interesting or the UK. Um, it was interesting to f- discover that as uh, there was and to find some of these companies roots that have kind of, f- at least for me, have uh, always been what they are. So let's go through the, the history of it first. And then um, we'll also talk about kind of the different type of um, 
we'll take a segue as we go through the history to talk about the different types of uh, systems that they had over there. The popularity of uh, gaming and video gaming in Britain and the United Kingdom can stem back to 1975, where Ian Livingstone and Steve Jackson, now that's British Steve Jackson, not American Steve Jackson, formed a company called Games Workshop. The distinction between the Steve Jackson is American Steve Jackson is known for Steve Jackson games where they make uh, games like Illuminati or the GURPS, the general universal role-playing system right? Um, or the generic universal role-playing system. And he also made a video game called Ogre. British Steve Jackson, who is commonly mistaken for American Steve Jackson, worked with Ian Livingstone to make Games Workshop and also made uh, he worked as a developer down the road in the 90s for Lionhead Studios with Peter Molyneux, who we'll talk about later as well. He also worked on uh, some fighting fantasy games and a game called Sorcery! Exclamation point. So Games Workshop, which is the company that and that brings you Warhammer and Warhammer 40K, really brought gaming to Britain. And they use their platform to market game news and inform uh, the British populace about things like Dungeons and Dragons. And they did this through a, a newsletter that was called The Owl and Weasel. And over time, in like 1977, uh, they formalized it into an actual game magazine called White Dwarf. Eventually, in 1991, uh, they sold off Games Workshop for 10 million pounds. So, Games Workshop is very evidently uh, very is very important to not only gaming in general, but uh, you have the Warhammer fantasy, you have Warhammer fantasy, Warhammer 40k, and all of the Warhammer. There's hundreds of books written about Warhammer stuff. Um, Warhammer itself is its own whole fandom and has uh, video games books so that all came from this company white dwarf was a very important magazine and was able to really bring different type of gaming news in a format that people could read since it was the 70s the internet wasn't the way it was today it was a vastly different world so Mm -hmm. in order to find out about these type of subcultures you had to read these type of magazines interestingly enough uh ian livingstone uh he would go off to work for a game called domark which was then bought by idos interactive Mm -hmm. which was then bought by a company called sci where ian livingstone was uh invested in a board member and was retained by all these companies through the purchases and when he was when the company was bought by sci he was put in charge of acquisitions and he was he Ian Livingstone, the founder of Games Workshop, went to go and inquired Tomb Raider and Hitman Hitman for the Eidos company, which they still have rights to today, and they still make Hitman and Tomb Raider games. Yeah. In '09, Square Enix actually bought out Eidos, and Livingstone was kept on uh, until he right, retired. Uh, in 2013 uh, at the age of 64. So this man dedicated from 1975 to 2013 his life to gaming. He did, when they sold uh, in 1991, he did take a break for about two years where he got bored from being retired from selling his company. And that's when he started working for Domark as the, well, that's when he invested into Mm. Domark. Do you want to uh, talk a little bit about um, what happened in uh, 1983? Yeah. So in uh, 1983, 
a kind of quirky little game came out called Manic Miner. Uh, so Manic Miner was a little bedroom creation, as uh, as our notes put it, a little bedroom creation of a 17-year-old Matthew Smith, not to be confused with British actor Matt Smith, who was loaned a computer called the ZX Spectrum. So Matthew created this game in like eight weeks or so, got it released, and it became this massive kind of success in early computing games for England. So I think one thing that um, I, I want to talk talk about before we we talk more about manic minor and more of these computer games that come out is the fact that england kind of had a different little history when it came to the systems and stuff that were out over there so while they did have you know the you know nintendos and the segas and all the stuff that we have uh england also saw a much stronger presence in the home computer market so uh, primarily british companies such as sinclair research amstrad Tangerine, uh, there's another one called Dragon, and also British government's own BBC, British Broadcasting Community, all had 8-bit computers that were out for the personal market. Um, one of the most popular ones was from Sinclair Research. It was called the ZX Spectrum, and uh, or as the British people might w- want to call it, the ZX Spectrum, as the people in Europe say Z differently than we do. And the the ZX Spectrum was popular for a couple of reasons. One, it was inexpensive. It was only about 125 uh, pounds at the time, which was uh, British pounds, which um, was incredibly, incredibly cheap compared to other home computers that were available for the market. Another thing was that the games for it were primarily distributed via cassettes. Uh, What that meant was, unlike computers such as the Commodore 64, which was also popular, or or some of the other computers that were out, you didn't need to buy a whole separate floppy disk drive just to play your games. You could actually just use any old cassette drive, a couple of, uh, you know, cables connected up to your computer, and you could run any game via the cassette, cassette drive. So this kind of saw popularity with the home computer market because of the convenience. So the the ZX Spectrum became very popular with with people in England. There were competitors, of course. Uh, Companies such as uh, Amstrad released something called the Amstrad CPC, um, which was a a similar system. It was actually built on the exact same uh, microprocessor. It just ran things a bit differently. It was a little more expensive. It had a built-in cassette deck, which was, you know, saw, saw as pretty nice you know nice little perk and also they they saw competition from uh, america's commodore commodore was releasing the 64 and the vic 20 over in the european market which was seeing which people saw as competition because they were they were stronger computers the commodore so the popularity of home computers at the time also saw a growth in computer magazines in magazines that were dedicated to these home computer games there were magazines that were dedicated to just zx spectrum games there were magazines dedicated to just amstrad games magazines dedicated to just commodore games and a lot of these magazines were cool because one thing is every every few months or so they often would bundle kind of a collection of games on cassette with your your subscription so you'd get a magazine and taped on the front would be a, a cassette tape that you could play in on your computer play hold brand new games and that was called a cover tape also cool was that some of the pages were actually dedicated to lines of code that you could input by hand to play games that were being submitted by people like you, by by people that enjoyed playing video games, um, and by people often young, which is where we have uh, Matthew Smith come in. Matthew Smith being a 17-year-old who... who kind of played around with things like the with the the spectrum and decided that 
he was going to create a game for it, create this game called Manic Miner, which was a kind of irreverent game that appealed to British sense of humor. Um, you play as a guy named Willie, and Willie is a miner, and he travels through caverns to collect flashing objects, um, avoiding poisonous pansies and other deadly traps. It really kind of was pushing this early 8-bit computer's capabilities to its limits uh, manic miner had really imaginative music had really colorful graphics um, it had a kind of animated title screen which was kind of which was unique for the time it really was a, a really kind of astounding game to to come out um, from such a young person and manic miner also did see a sequel uh it saw a couple of sequels uh one called jet set willy and there was also jet set willy 2 both of which continue to follow the adventures of willy yes one of the fun things is that Ma- uh, manic miner was made in eight weeks yes uh using a, a model 3 tandy and it was the first zx spectrum title that had in-game music yeah and then uh, jet set willy was also uh, it took considerably longer to write but it was they were both commercial successes through the in especially in um in the uk uh so that leads us uh to 1984 there is uh, another game that gets developed called elite it is uh, a 3d space adventure by 1984 uh computer sales um, in the British homes were the highest in the world. Two Cambridge students uh, created uh, Elite. Those two Cambridge students were by the name of David Braden and Ian Bell. They did so by experimenting on what's known as the BBC Micro, and they created a space trading game in their spare times just before finals while they're at Cambridge. Cambridge, though Cambridge is a pretty... Uh, lofty school yeah <laughs> cambridge and cambridge and oxford so i'm sure they're both both of those schools there whoever goes to those schools are pretty brilliant people and in this elite game players would journey across galaxies you defend and upgrade your ship you would uh there was a very open-ended gameplay and because of that open-ended gameplay it really rewrote kind of how video games were supposed to be played most video games before kind of were very linear had stories this was really kind of had you hit these 3d image outlines and just kind of like you could do whatever you want in the game so it was also the first non-american game to become a become an american bestseller so we did very well in the in the u.s and and globally uh, it cre- they allowed uh, the game to have uh, a number of sequels. Uh, they had three official sequels. Frontier Elite 2 came out in 93. Frontier First Encounters Elite 3 came out in 95. And the third sequel is Elite Dangerous. Uh, Elite Dangerous was conceived in 98, provisionally titled Elite 4, was crowdfunded through Kickstarter, in the 2012 and was finally released in 2014 so this was all being shepherded by david braden who worked on the original game as he is now the ceo of frontier developments Uh, frontier developments also uh, made planet coaster planet zoo and also did the roller coaster tycoon 3 they're decidedly a large video game developer um, and i think it's kind of cool that like probably one of the first games that David and Ian developed together in 84 have has kind of been shepherded throughout the generations and gets upgraded and just adjusted 
And now, you know, Elite Dangerous, which I think is an even more household name than perhaps Elite, though I'm sure Elite for the people buying it in the in in the 80s were it was a common household name then too oh yeah so it's kind of cool that way so in uh, 1989 british video games pioneer peter molyneux whose whose name uh we'll probably use later in this and also in later episodes of this podcast uh decided that he wanted to make something that was intellectually challenging he felt that games needed to be more they needed to kind of challenge the the players in different ways so he created this game called populous and populous is the first ever god game and what i mean by god game is that players took on the power and responsibility of a deity uh you made moral choices to shape landscapes inflicted disasters you gained followers and uh, it was widely successful. Populous sold over 4 million copies and um, created a genre that would still be done to this day. I mean, most notably, I think, is The Sims, which kind of uh, plays along the same idea of playing God. And this idea of kind of playing God is something in, in video games <laughs> is something that uh, Peter Molyneux definitely didn't stray away from. Some of his later games um, kind of follow a very similar um, mechanic. Uh, so, Peter, so Peter Molyneux was with Bullfrog, which developed Populous and published by EA. Eventually, EA bought Bullfrog. He eventually left EA to go work at Lionhead Studios, where he made a, another God game. And then Lionhead Studios was eventually bought by Microsoft. And then he has now left to go work at 22 Can, with uh, uh, which the Tim Rance, who's the CTO of Lionhead Studios, um started where he created another god game <laughs> like i said he uh he uh they definitely followed him through his career uh fable and uh, black and white were both done under the linehead masthead and fun fact they also made the movies game which was amazing the movies game and they had an expansion it was like called like stunts and special effects um, was an awesome management game where you ran a movie studio and you had to film your own movies and you actually got to film your own movies. So you not only managed the like operations of your movie studio with hiring and firing actors and actresses, but you also got to film the movies and cut them in editing and you could do it yourself. So you could actually make your own movie. And if you YouTube like movies from the movies games, you could see some of the movies that people have made and they're great. Uh, highly recommend it if you like like sim type strategy games um and like zachary said peter molyneux david Braden, uh ian livingstone steve jackson these these guys are staple british game developers and we'll definitely bring these guys up again in future episodes as well this brings us to 1991 in dundee uh a group of uh, friends from a computer club would uh, start a game called DMA Designs and created a game called Lemmings. And Lemmings, you direct a group of green-haired creatures through obstacles at increasing levels of difficulty. And it was originally released for the Amiga computer because it had split-screen capability and dual mouse inputs, so you can do two players. And on its first day, it sold 55,000 copies. Wow. Uh, eventually the other versions were released and uh, they made multiple multiple lemmings games and this dba designs company will come up very soon 
But um, Zach, why don't you tell us about some a game that I always thought was actually American, but it's I, not. I thought this game was American too, and then I realized the developer um, is, of course, um, a British company, so it makes sense. But in 1997, we saw a game that would define first-person shooters and would change video games almost from the core and that is goldeneye 007 goldeneye for the nintendo 64 um so goldeneye was created by a company called rare and rare was actually founded by two brothers tim and chris stamper who uh really founded the company out in a farmhouse um in in rural leicestershire leicestershire i can't say long british town names in a, in a small British town. We're going to get corrected by someone I know. But uh, Rare Rare started back, you know, in the 1980s. They created a lot of a lot of games for the for the, the ZX Spectrum. And, and later they were involved with partnerships with Nintendo, um, including creating ports of games like, uh, I believe they did the port of Double Dragon for the Nintendo Entertainment System. In any case, they eventually got the license to create the video game based on the James Bond film. Goldeneye, and they did it. It took over two years to create, and it created a, uh, it really pioneered a more realistic style of first person shooters that really wasn't seen yet. I mean, first person shooters at that time in the 90s were like Doom and Quake. I mean, there were these bombastic, explosive games, and Goldeneye really toned it down. I mean, your enemies weren't demons or monsters, they were Russians, um, and um, you weren't blowing stuff up, you know, to get through the pits of hell. You were using stealth to sneak around these uh military bases um and in russian uh you know russian military structures and um and such it also had really really fantastic multiplayer it was a four-player multiplayer sp- split screen that frankly I-, I had great times playing it when i remember playing the game uh even if seth always did love playing his odd job and did not like auto aim to be turned on so he could sneak around that map it actually won the first ever BAFTA, which is the British Academy Film and Television Arts for Interactive Entertainment. It was the first ever video game BAFTA. It was awarded the BAFTA as kind of recognition of the increasing importance of video games in the entertainment industry. Um, it also grossed over $250 million, which is remarkable. Uh, and a really cool fact about GoldenEye that I think... Uh, is shows rare's history it shows their love of of british gaming is the fact that there is an entire zx spectrum emulator hidden within its code and five games that are hidden in the code they're almost completely unable to be accessed via standard means you actually have to use like extensive hacking to get into the the code um to to find the emulator and actually wasn't even found until about 2014 was when someone stumbled across it and they talked to one of the uh rare developers and they're like oh yeah we put that in there so that's kind of a fun little uh fun little um fact about it that is fun which which brings us to uh it's still 1997 the end of 1997 that dundee studio uh dma design was influenced by some earlier games like elite where it was an open world action type of thing so they created an open world action adventure game except you took the role of a criminal and you roamed around freely around multiple cities you could go wherever you want do whatever you want and just have fun it was 2d top down those graphics and they were considered somewhat limited but it was definitely praised for its fun and the ability just like it's it's freshness and that game was grand theft auto 
the Dundee studio, DMA Design, changed its name to Rockstar. And they became, they, they eventually, so Rockstar is now a very, very large company. The DMA Design, which became Rockstar, eventually kind of became Rockstar North, which is based in Edinburgh. And they still develop every Grand Theft Auto game. They also uh, developed, uh, they supported Red Dead Redemption, and they worked on like Manhunt, and they, they've they got their, as kind of the original Rockstar, they kind of have their fingers in a lot of what Rockstar's projects are, but they worked on every Grand, they developed every Grand Theft Auto to Grand Theft Auto V, which is out right now, and is a very popular game. So I think that's, that's cool, since I didn't even know that Rockstar, A, did Lemmings, but was was this the studio that it kind of it's kind of cool and interesting to see a studio to see the roots of people meeting in a computer club getting together and being like we could make a game about lemmings to making a game about criminals to making grand theft auto one of the high like one of the biggest franchises around and so i mean eventually um like in ni- 1998, Take-Two Interact. one of the reasons why they're like a New York-based type situation is Take-Two Interactive bought them and they've become a subsidiary. So there was a lot of kind of uh, moving arounds where um, became just kind of like, I don't know, less so... It's kind of now a blended co- international company. Yes, were. right, yeah. But primarily the um, most of the work that is done is still done by the uh, the Rockstar North. Though there is multiple Rockstars. There is uh, Rockstar India. There is Rockstar International. There is Rockstar Leeds, which did uh, Grand Theft Auto, Chinatown Wars, Liberty City Stories, Vice City Stories, and took care of L.A. Noir to Microsoft Windows port. <laughs> um, there's uh, Rockstar Lincoln, primarily dedicated around quality assurance and localization rockstar london did manhunt 2 and midnight club la remix oh. uh rockstar new england which is based in andover massachusetts responsible for uh, bully scholarship edition oh cool um bully is a good game. rockstar north the edinburgh kind of the grandpappy of them all does manhunt and grand theft auto uh, Rockstar San Diego uh, is the one responsible for Red Dead, Smuggler's Run, and the Midnight Club series. And Rockstar Toronto, which did the Warriors uh, and Window Ports. Um, there was also Rockstar Vancouver and Rockstar Vienna, but both of those uh, were closed. Uh, so there, Rockstar does have a lot of subsidiaries. Rockstar North does most of the work. <laughs> Well, the the most successful of the work. Sorry, not the most of the work. Most successful work. The noticeable work. <laughs> <laughs> right. Next to uh, San Diego doing Red Dead now. Yeah, so we'll probably do an episode on Rockstar in the future. Yeah, I think Rockstar they're, they're is interesting company. I mean, they're, they're very interesting company. Um, you know, they have they have some really great games. They have some they have some controversy involved with them. I think they're very fascinating. You know, topic. Right. I then they they have some games that are also not great. Oh yeah. Oh oh yeah. They have plenty of those. <laughs> so they have some really great games. Some and some games that are just not. Uh. So with that, I think that's what we got for the our British invasion episode, as it were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At least for at least for this episode, I think. I I hope that you 
learn something about British influencing to our gaming, video gaming culture. Yeah, and there's definitely more games that we can talk about in future episodes. So if you um, are interested in more British video games, or maybe per chance you are a British individual who wants us to talk about um, a certain game or a certain series, um, there's plenty of stuff that we didn't have a chance to touch upon. So let us know. Um, and uh, we will certainly give it some research and, and we'll try to do something. Right. So um, and we'll, we'll also in future episodes pick on other um, countries as well to talk about their influence <laughs> like, to us. I like the way you worded that. We'll pick on the country. <laughs> <laughs> we'll pick on them. We'll pick on them. They don't want us talking about them. It, it is to note that um, beyond uh, the United States and Japan, Britain is the third largest video game developer or at least was at one point in time so um with that let's get into our buy wait pass let's get into uh, it zach what are you excited about buying waiting or passing on well seth the um game that i am the, the game that's in my buy wait pass in my in my eyesight right now is called the forgotten city um so the forgotten city is a game coming out in potentially winter 2020 that's what they have listed on their steam page it's being developed by modern storyteller and published by dear villagers and i'm fairly certain and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I think you know a bit about Forgotten City. I'm fairly certain it's a like really extensive Skyrim mod. <laughs> and, like, it is. A, it's a. It's a. It's a total conversion. It's a right? um, total conversion mod. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's some other uh, there's a, another total conversion mod that's out there as well. Actually, I think there's a. There's a few, I think. So there, there is a few total conversion mods out there. Um, there was one that I was playing recently. Oh, there's that weird one. Yeah, what was it called? I don't remember. Oh, Enderol. Enderol. Forgotten yeah, Stories. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the Forgotten City is uh, it's actually kind of different from other total conversion mods uh, that I- I've seen. So, total conversion mods. For those who don't know, are, are full modifications of an existing game, and by total conversion, it usually is implying that it completely changes the game um, to the point where it is almost its own original thing. So, the Forgotten City is actually um, based in ancient Rome. It takes place two thousand years in the past, during the final days of a cursed Roman city, where if one person sins, everybody dies. Um, each secret uncovered and decision made could save the 26 lost souls caught in the curse cycle or doom them forever. And it asks you if you can break the time loop. So already this is combining some stuff that I think is really interesting. I, I love um, games that kind of have a historical or a fictionalized historical uh, setting. I also really like time loop stories like Groundhog Day is one of my favorite movies. So uh, it- it's a game that I'm definitely going to keep an eye out for. It doesn't have any any price tag listed. Knowing it's a total conversion, I'm assuming it's probably going to be free. Um, a lot of total conversions are due to uh, licensing and such. So uh, I, it's definitely going to be a, a most likely a buy or a wait for me. Um, I'm going to keep an eye out for it uh, for sure. It, it definitely interests me. What about you, Seth? The game that I'm excited about buying, waiting, or passing on is a game called Automatica. It's a uh, a tactical puzzle game where you need to program your robots to finish the task. Oh, that's interesting. Seth, can you tell me who made it? It is it's being developed by Automatica. 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 I think you had it right the first time. Automatica? Probably. Automatica. Yeah, uh, I was trying to say it differently. Uh, <laughs> Automatica Corp. 
and being published by Cinemax. I was actually mentioning to Zach, I, I've never developed a game myself. I just, necess- having the game have the same name as your developer, does is this, I, I just think it puts you down to where that's the only thing you can do. Yeah, right. <laughs> Like what? What are your what are your other games going to be called? I have no room to question because I've never done it myself. So, so the game was a uh, it was actually a hobby project, which is probably why the developer is named that way. Um, who uh, designed by uh, Victor Bocan, who worked over at Warhorse Studio War Horse Studios, who did Kingdom Come Deliverance, uh, which is a very extensive realistic medieval simulator and. F- it is now in the development by a small indie company under the direction of Lucas Marcura, who is the C- who is also the CEO of Cinemax Prague, the publisher. Oh. So they must have made the company as like a subsidiary or something. Yeah, right. You cannot enter any of the ships and you cannot control your robots directly. So you have to program your robots. And a stra- it's not a game where you need to learn programming if you can run a game on steam you can program these robots but it is a strategy game where you are looking to get these robots to accomplish the task for you i think it's interesting uh i'm going to wishlist it and put it down as a wait i think the game probably fits in my type of games that i like to play I'm looking at it. It does have like like code in it where then you have like keys to put the code in, but it looks like the keys that you'll enter will will kind of write the code for you. Yeah, that's cool. And I think you just have to kind of learn how to read the code kind of thing. And I think that's the kind of the um I know the gimmick to yeah, the game, I that's guess. Cool. It it looks fun. It looks cool. It should be coming out early access in the summer. So which is now. <laughs> so uh hopefully it'll be out soon yeah um but that's it that's so we'll put on a wait awesome well hey uh seth do you want to do you want to give us a uh do you want to give us a rundown on on ways to contact sure. ways to ways to uh ways to listen ways to do anything really ways to support yeah all those stuff uh so there's a couple of ways to contact us listen to us and support us to contact us you can send us an email at classicgamingbrothers.com. you can also go to our website go to the feedback form fill out a feedback form and send us the email classic gaming brothers that goes to our email as well our website is of course classicgamingbrothers.com. so uh once you send that email we will respond to you uh, we do have a pretty quick turnaround time. We love hearing feedback. There may be uh, a couple of contests that we can enter you into them, whether you want to be entered them into them or not. No, you all, they're always <laughs> voluntary. But Zachary may be able to mail you uh, cassette tapes. We could also give you a free game. Um, so just uh, let us send us feedback. You can support us by liking all, ringing all the bells and liking all the posts sharing uh whenever an episode drops that's always fun i appreciate the shares um you can also uh follow us or like us on instagram uh our facebook is classic gaming brothers our instagram is classic gaming brothers we also have a twitter which you can follow us there and that's cg brothers pod we announce all of our episodes on facebook and twitter you can also support us by 
if you want, you can buy merch. You can also watch us on Twitch. Our Twitch is twitch.tv slash Classic Gaming Brothers. And Zachary's View is slash VS Classic Gaming Brothers. We go live occasionally. Yeah, um, we have no schedule. We have no schedule. Uh, we're not Twitch people. No, no, no. <laughs> we're, no, no we're podcasters. podcasters. <laughs> but uh, we, <laughs> I mean, I guess we're more video gamers. But uh, yeah. <laughs> we're just guys we, we being do. dudes. <laughs> we're just two brothers making a podcast. But uh, so we primarily, we Twitch when we can or when we want. Um, and we play fun and weird games. Yeah. Uh, you can listen to us where any uh, podcasts are heard. Uh, Spotify, iTunes, uh, St- Stitcher, what have you. And so there's that. Um, Perfect. So, Zach, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Mm, hmm. I don't know. I think it's don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. And I've been Seth. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers that's right that's right i don't got anything funny for british games i well apparently the stomping was my cat fetching and playing playing with himself running up and down the stairs oh that's good that's good yeah yeah he's he's pretty he's a good cat uh yeah we should have we should interview him on the podcast Uh, yeah well he's smashing around right now um he barely wants to play this break